I think I asked her, this has been a couple of years since I wrote the story, but I think I asked her like, well, what, you know, can people really raise monkeys? She's like, mm, no, <laughs> she's like, it's really not unless you have enough space. And yeah. she's like, it's not a good idea. And it's like so many people you hear stories of wild animals, like tigers or bears being let loose by people who would. And I think there was something in Wisconsin recently where there was like an alligator or crocodile that oh got loose. Gosh. I can't remember some <laughs> wild animal that was, yeah. you know, a predator that was released probably by someone who'd adopted an exotic illegally and then just couldn't deal with the animal anymore. Yeah. So, you know, that that's routine. I think with people, they just realize they're in over their heads. All right, the monkey's Uncle Lewis. Lewis's younger sister Anne had adopted a monkey, news she shared with him over the phone, her call waking him early on a Tuesday morning on the first day of the fall semester. She wanted to know if he'd like to come to Florida to meet the monkey. It was a white-bellied capuchin, a female. She was very sweet-natured, smart, and funny. Anne sounded smitten, a little dazed, the happiest she'd sounded in a while. I suppose I could, he said. The first few weeks of the term aren't that busy. He could hear noises in the background, a series of beeps followed by laughter. What's her name, he asked. We haven't decided yet, said Anne. I'll send you the email. I'll send you an email with the names we're considering. All right, if you want to. You're not happy for us, she said flatly. That's not true. I am happy for you, he said. You sound good. Well, I'm glad you think so. Before they hung up, he asked, Is it legal to have a monkey in Florida? Don't you need a permit or something? His sister hesitated, a sound escaping her throat that he'd been familiar with since childhood. She was trying not to cry. Yes, of course we have one, Lewis. We're not criminals. The email with the proposed monkey names arrived that evening while he was eating dinner alone in an olive garden near his home. He only cooked on weekends when his wife was home. Nearly every Friday, she flew back to Chicago from Hartford, where she worked as a hospital administrator or he flew to her. They'd been making these trips for six of the nine years they'd been married. Lewis was a tenured professor in American history at a college three miles from their house. And when Sandra was hired by the hospital in Hartford, they'd both agreed his job was too good to give up with its summers off and generous pension and periodic sabbaticals. They had a cat, Jules, but no children. Jules was Sandra's cat and predated Lewis, although the cat lived in Chicago instead of Hartford. In the last year, Jules had developed diabetes, and in Sandra's absence, it was Lewis who administered the insulin shots, the cat submitting to, the, to them with disappointment on his owlish face. His disappointment was even plainer when he peered each morning into his food bowl. The vet had put him on a special diet, one with more protein, but less flavor. Dear Lewis, here are the names we're thinking about for our monkey. Can you rank them from one to five, with one being your first choice, and send them back to me? Lucinda, Molly, Jeannie, Becky, Claire. Bill and I would love it if you'd come down the next weekend. You're free. What about Labor Day? If Sandra isn't planning to be in Hartford that weekend, maybe she can come too. Love, Anne. P.S. We are already so in love with our little monkey. He had misgivings about his sister's plan to make a home for a wild creature that was likely soon to bring its new keepers to their knees. What would happen if in the middle of the night the monkey escaped the house and homesick for its native jungle, 
started screeching from the treetops and rattling neighbors' doors and windows. Online, he found a video of a gang of capuchins chasing after four fawn-colored chihuahuas, someone off-screen laughing maniacally. The chihuahuas looked terrified, their eyes bulging even more than Lewis thought was normal. The monkeys screamed and pogoed up and down when they overtook the horrified dogs. Another video showed a tufted capuchin feverishly pulling socks and underwear out of a chest of drawers and flinging them over its shoulders. Dear Anne, just curious, do monkeys like bananas as much as they say? Of the names you sent, I think I like Lucinda the best, Claire probably the least. It's a nice enough name, but maybe not quite right for a monkey. I don't really have strong feelings about the other three names, but I suppose Molly would be my second choice. I'll see what Sandra is able to do regarding a visit. Labor Day might work. Hello to Bill from both of us. Your brother, Louis. P.S. I guess this makes me the monkey's uncle. At first, Sandra didn't believe him when he called to share his sister's news. I'm too tired tonight for jokes, she said. It's not a joke, he said. Anne and Bill really have adopted a monkey. There was a long pause before she said, Can they return it? I don't know. I didn't ask. Well, what's wrong with a dog? Nothing, he said, but apparently they wanted a monkey. I don't think I can change my plane ticket for next weekend without a big penalty, she said. What if you go the weekend after Labor Day when I'll be here? Or we could, go meet, we could meet down there the following weekend. I'll check with my sister, he said. I do think we should both go. What if that monkey gets into our room in the middle of the night, she asked. I don't know if I'll be able to sleep. I'll protect you. We'll see, she said. Which name do you like best, he asked. Claire, Lucinda, Molly, Jeannie, or Becky? Anne wants to know. His wife was silent for a second. Your sister has lost her mind. The monkey, whom Anne and Bill had named Molly, stared worriedly at Lewis from her perch on Bill's shoulder when he and Sandra arrived at the front door of her new home. She was dressed in a diaper and a pink t-shirt with Daddy's Girl in cursive on the front, a chunk of mango oozing in one of her small hands. She was tinier than Lewis expected, at most five pounds. Jules weighed ten. The monkey's head and chest were blonde-furred. The rest of her was covered in brown fur. She made a hissing noise and bared her teeth, revealing two sharp-looking fangs. Sandra hung back, hesitating. Lewis put his hand on her arm. Oh, don't worry, she's harmless, said Anne with a nervous laugh. Such a little love. She caressed the monkey's miniature head. Ducking away from Anne's hand, Molly continued to stare distrustfully at Lewis and his wife. Bill and Anne stepped away from the door and led them into the front room, the monkey craning its neck to keep up, to keep its eyes on them. I've put you in your usual room, said Anne. It's right next to Molly's. Molly has her own room? asked Sandra. She looked at Lewis in alarm. Don't say anything, he mouthed. They passed the living room where a large playpen had been installed within the space between the sofa and the television cabinet. Wooden alphabet blocks, a large plastic pineapple, a one-eyed Mr. Potato Head, and a constellation of small stuffed animals, frogs, kittens, and two monkeys that resembled Molly, were scattered in and around the playpen. Lewis wondered how long it would take the monkey to start hurling the blocks at the windows or her new parents. Next to the television crouched a stuffed monkey much larger than the two on the floor. Of course she has her own room, said Anne. We didn't want her to get into the habit of sleeping in ours. But she does come in sometimes in the middle of the night, wanting to cuddle. Bill looked at his wife. I think we're going to have to start locking our bedroom door when we turn in. Anne shook her head, her dark curls bobbing. No, no, we can't do that. Molly won't like that. Sander glanced at Lewis again, but he pretended not to notice. She's very cute, he said. Very precocious, too, it sounds like. Yes, she's extremely bright, said Anne. The breeder we got her from up near Orlando told us she's one of the smartest monkeys he's ever known. Maybe she'll ace the SATs and get into Harvard by the time she's 12, said Sandra. 
Anne didn't laugh, but out of loyalty to his wife, Lewis did. That's funny, he said. I thought so, said Sandra. I hope she gets a scholarship, said Bill. I don't think we can afford any of the Ivies. Molly finished the mango and let out a deafening shriek. Bill winced and put a hand over his right ear. Ah, Molly, no, I told you not to do that. He tried to catch the monkey's eye, but she leapt off his shoulder onto Anne's head and covered Anne's eye sockets with her small, deft hands. At least one of them sticky with mango juice. With an embarrassed laugh, Anne tried to pry the monkey loose, but Molly refused to be dislodged. Take it easy on her, said Bill, putting a cautioning hand on Molly's back. You know she doesn't like it when you do that. Molly blinked up at him and opened her mouth, but no sounds emerged. Lewis eyed her fangs. He doubted his sister was considering having them filed down. I need a nap, said Sandra. Would anyone object? No, go right ahead, said Anne, said Anne, still blind. We can all take Molly to the beach this afternoon. I need to make her lunch now, and I have sandwich fixings for you whenever you're ready. Lewis looked from Anne to the monkey, sensing they were both suffering in very personal ways. Bill also seemed tired and dispirited. He was certain that living with his sister required more stoicism than he himself would have been capable of. Anne was almost pathologically thin-skinned and anxious, but his brother-in-law, for reasons he and Sandra had speculated over many times, remained committed. His own marriage, Lewis supposed, was a source of speculation for Anne and Bill, too. Lock the door, said Sandra, after they were alone in their room. One of its dusky pink walls streaked above the baseboard with what looked like dried mud. That monkey must know how to use a doorknob if she sneaks into their room at night. She's cute, he said, don't you think? His wife gave him a wry look. Yes, she is, but what's she doing here? She's a wild animal. Don't say that so loud, he said. They can probably hear us. Good, because they should listen to what I'm saying. He shook his head. Don't be cranky. You didn't have to come. Sandra snorted. You told me I had to. I didn't say you had to. I just thought it would be a good idea if you did. That's basically the same thing, she said, flopping down onto the bed. She sat up again a second later, her expression pinched and groped under the pillow. What is this? She said, pulling out two very brown and squash bananas. The monkey's secret stash? He laughed. I, I guess they weren't kidding about how smart she is. Sandra looked disgusted. I knew this would be a bad idea. She thrust a hand under the other pillow and extracted a third banana, this one blacker than the other two. How long do you think this has been here? She waved the black banana at him. Probably no more than three weeks. I think that's how long they've had her. He went over to the streaks on the wall and bent down to sniff them. Smells like banana, he said. Wonderful, said Sandra. She got up and dropped the squashed fruit into a trash can by the dresser. I think we're going to have to ask Anne to change the sheets. I'm not sleeping in a bed that smells like rotten bananas. We're lucky there aren't any fruit flies. Somewhere in the house they heard the monkey screeching. I hope your sister has gotten that creature off her head by now, said Sandra. I think we'd better tell them about the sheets a little later, he said. Anne had a rainbow-colored leash for the monkey and a matching harness, which she assured Lewis they'd be using at the beach. Molly sat quietly on Anne's lap as Bill drove them toward the ocean, Lewis next to Sandra in the back seat, the air conditioner not cooling down the car fast enough. He'd already sweated through his t-shirt and could feel his boxers bunching against his groin. A half-open diaper bag sat on the hump between him and Sandra. Inside, he could see two Ziploc bags bulging with Cheerios and goldfish crackers, two juice boxes, and several diapers. There was also a tiny pair of pink socks and what looked like a onesie. He wondered who among his sisters and Bill's friends had been introduced to the monkey, and if any of Anne's friends had thrown her a shower. He hoped so, but didn't ask. Sandra would think he was a lunatic and chastise him later. 
Uncle Lewis, said Sandra, noticing where he was looking. Don't steal your niece's goldfish. I saw you eyeballing them. Don't you dare eat those, said Anne. She'd put on some makeup, red lipstick and black mascara, and had tied up her hair in a yellow bandana, over which she placed a pair of sunglasses, large black ones that covered half her face. I'm not going to eat them, he said. Sandra's trying to get me in trouble. His wife pursed her lips. If you thought you could get away with it, you'd eat them. You need to bring him some snacks of his own, said Bill, meeting Sandra's eyes in the rearview mirror. Anne brought me a power bar. I brought us all power bars, Anne said primly. That was nice of you, said Sandra, who Lewis knew didn't like energy bars of any kind. Neither of them had mentioned the rotten bananas or the sheets yet. The afternoon was punishingly hot, the air torpid with humidity, the fronds of the palm trees bordering the streets limp in the sun. Anne had warned him that September was sometimes as unbearable as August. Most years, he and Sandra visited at Thanksgiving or Christmas, the weather in both Hartford and Chicago by that point reliably bad. He and his sister were all that remained of their close family. Their mother had died two years earlier, their father ten years before her. Bill had grown up in Fort Lauderdale, and his parents and one of his two brothers still lived nearby. He doubted that any of them had met the monkey. Anne didn't like her in-laws, who she thought blamed her for their lack of grandchildren. Bill's brothers were bachelors. One was gay. The other, who was secretive and out of touch for months at a time, was anyone's guess, according to Anne. "'Will it be too hot for Molly at the beach?' asked Sandra. "'Oh, no, no,' said Anne. "'She has family in the jungles of Costa Rica. She loves the heat. The beach is one of her favorite places.' "'I'm guessing you've taken her down here already,' said Louis. "'Every day we can manage it,' said Anne. Nine times now,' said Bill, glancing at Anne, I think.' But who's counting? said Sandra under her breath. Lewis elbowed her side. She looked at him and shook her head, smiling. If Anne or Bill had heard her, they gave no sign. Bill was slowing down to, the par to park the minivan, a white behemoth purchased with optimism three years earlier. Lewis had asked his sister the previous Christmas if she and Bill were considering adoption, but Anne said they weren't. If we can't have a baby of our own, we don't want one. After a pause, she'd added, He'd probably be willing to adopt, but I don't want to. She'd had three miscarriages in four years. She was 43 and a former heavy smoker, which her doctor thought might be partly responsible for the miscarriages. Bill was 46, the same age as Lewis. He'd never smoked, but he sometimes joked that he liked smoked meats, which Anne did not find funny. Lewis and Sandra didn't want children, which for reasons that weren't clear to him, his sister resented. It's because we haven't been through any of the same difficulties she has, Sandra insisted. If we wanted kids too, she'd feel better. But he didn't think this made sense. If we wanted kids and went on to have them, he said, she'd feel even worse, wouldn't she? Not necessarily, said Sandra. It's not logical. Not at all. The glare from the sand scraped at Lewis's eyes despite his polarized sunglasses. Sandra had insisted he pack a hat, too, and he'd also brought her sun hat, a wide-brimmed straw one that made her look girlish and unattainable. She was two years older than Anne, but with her unlined olive skin and trimmer figure, she looked several years younger. Lewis had spent the summer with her in Hartford, and they were both still adjusting to his return to Chicago for the start of the school year. She'd been searching for a comparable job in Illinois, but hadn't yet found one, despite having made it to the final round of interviews for several. The positions had all gone to men she'd eventually discovered and been furious over, Lewis commiserating in his own disappointment. The trend wasn't the same in the history department. Most of the jobs were going to women. Sandra had had a caustic response to this disclosure. Most men don't want university teaching jobs, she said. For one, they don't pay very much. No offense to you, Lewis, but you know it's true. Anne was trying to clip the leash to Molly's harness, the monkey shrieking and skittering from her lap to Bill's in her excitement. Bill grabbed the monkey and held her determinedly while Anne attached the leash. Can you bring the diaper bag? Bill asked over his shoulder. 
Sure, said Lewis, reaching for it, but Sandra snatched it first and slung it over her shoulder. Friday afternoon in the beach was festooned with umbrellas and clusters of chairs on which oiled-up, exhausted parents reclined, dazed by the heat, their children scattered around them, digging energetically in the sand or else sobbing over some recent affront. Molly rode into the melee on Bill's shoulders, children's heads turning when they spotted her, their excavations paused. A monkey! Several of them cried before dropping their plastic shovels and running over. The children twirled and danced around Molly and her parents on sandy sun-brown feet, pointing up at her, their faces transfigured by joy. Molly stared down at them from her regal height with what looked to Lewis like scorn. The monkey blinked and turned to Anne, who stepped closer and put a protective hand on her tiny blonde head. In the next second, the monkey sprang from Bill's shoulders onto Anne's head and worked her little hands beneath Anne's sunglasses, covering her eyes in a repeat of what had happened at the house. The kids' laughter at this maneuver grew hysterical. Sandra stood a few feet away, covering her mouth with one hand to muffle her laughter, taking it all in. Lewis tried to catch her eye. I want to pet the monkey, cried a little girl in a pink swimsuit, her belly a large, hard balloon. Lewis watched her stare commandingly at Bill and Anne, admiring her a little. She was still years away from self-consciousness and its inconveniences. A little boy with black hair and a skinny girl in a ruffled blue swimsuit made the same demand. I love monkeys, said the boy. Let me pet him. Me too, cried the girl, both arms raised toward Anne and the monkey. I want to pet him. She's a girl, said Anne. Her name is Molly. Molly, said the girl in the ruffled swimsuit. She giggled. That's my my mom's name. A second little boy asked if he could please touch the monkey's tail. Lewis saw Bill grimace before Sandra spoke up from behind. Come on, you guys. You have to let them pet the monkey. Why else bring her here? Bill turned to Sandra with a harassed look as he tried to free his wife's eyes from the monkey's grip. Molly is very excitable, he said. We need to give her time to adjust to her new surroundings. He looked pointedly at the children. Give us about 15 minutes. Why don't you go back to your sandcastles for now? You said that the last time we saw you, said the girl in the pink swimsuit, but you left before you let us pet her. Sandra laughed in a hard burst. I'm sure if we, said Lewis, looking at Bill. For God's sake, cried Anne from behind the monkey's hand. Help me! Molly screeched as Bill tried with more force to pry his, her loose from his wife. When at last he succeeded, the monkey leapt onto his head and was about to clap her hands over his eyes when Bill grabbed them and lifted her squirming, her suit body away from his face. Molly, no, he said, exasperated. How many times have we told you you can't keep doing that? Does she understand you? asked one of the little boys. Apparently not, said Sandra, or else she's decided to ignore them. You think this is all very funny, said Anne, her face blanched with fury. But it's not. This is our life. I was only making a little joke, said Sandra, taking, taken aback. I'm sorry if I offended you. You've been making your little jokes at our expense since you and Lewis got here, and they're not funny at all, said Anne. You can see very well just how hard this is. I think we need to change Molly's diaper, Bill said ominously. Then do it, said Anne through gritted teeth. She yanked the diaper bag from Sandra's shoulder and thrust it at her husband. Molly bared her teeth. Stop it, said Anne. You, you're being very naughty, Molly. Do you think we should go home, asked Lewis. Bill and his sister stared at him, chagrined. I, I just thought it might be a good idea, he mumbled. No, said Anne. We're not going home yet. Molly needs her beach time. The kids went back to their shovels and pails without another word, cowed by Anne's outburst. One of their mothers had removed her sunglasses and was glaring at Bill, but he didn't notice. Anne was ordering him to put down a towel and change the monkey's diaper as he struggled to keep Molly away from his face. You do it, he said. You can see very well that I have my hands full right now. Sandra came up beside Lewis and gripped his elbow. 
I'm sorry if I offended your sister, she whispered, but she's going to need a better sense of humor if she expects them to survive this whole thing. Bill, too. The monkey squirmed free of Bill's grip and leapt onto the sand. Anne tried to grab the leash, but Molly took off toward the water, more children turning to stare in electrified amazement. Near the shoreline, her sagging diaper fell off, and some of the children screamed with laughter. With a cry of distress, Anne grabbed the leash to stop Molly and bent down to pick up the diaper before the tide carried it away. Calm down, Molly, she said. You're acting like you've never been here before. Before Anne stood up, the monkey jumped onto her back and pressed her hands over Anne's eye sockets again. Lewis winced as his sister released a great howl of frustration. Bill stared down at the sand, his mouth a grim line, before he went over to his wife and picked up the soiled diaper from where she dropped it by her feet. He glanced at Lewis helplessly. I'm sorry, said Lewis. Bill didn't reply. I think she's overstimulated, said Anne in a strained voice. She's not used to sharing us with strangers for so long. On the ride home, Sandra scrolled through email on her phone and Lewis fell asleep with his head against the window, his right hand resting on his wife's warm thigh. His neck was stiff by the time Bill turned into the driveway and jolted him awake. Slow down, said Anne. Are you trying to kill us? Molly chittered from her lap and looked imperiously up at Bill. Come on, he said. I wasn't even going that fast. In the house, Sandra went directly to their room, but Lewis lingered in the den, knowing he needed to mention the sheets. Bill muttered something about a shower and left them alone with the monkey. I know what you're thinking, said Anne, from the sofa she'd collapsed onto. Molly was in her playpen, her playpen, denuding the Mr. Potato Head and tossing the pieces aside. What? asked Lewis. That I've bitten off more than we can chew. I wasn't thinking that, he said. I was, she said, morose. Do you have to keep her? Anne was silent for several seconds. No, we don't, but I want to, she finally said, her look imploring. You're sure? She nodded. I think we can make it work if we're committed. Does Bill think so, too? She leaned her head back against the sofa. I don't know. After a moment, Lewis said, don't you think you should ask him? Her mascara was smeared beneath her eyes, her lipstick long gone. The monkey's presence had drained her in a way Lewis hadn't expected. He was used to her air of aggrieved injury when she was upset, but now she only seemed sad and luckless. It's only been a few weeks, she said softly. He's just taking longer to adjust than I am. Have you adjusted? She nodded. Yes, she's the light of my life. Lewis had to look away from her beseeching gaze. I know it's hard to believe, but most of the time she's very sweet and well-behaved. That's good, he said. I want you to be happy. Anne started to cry. But I didn't think this would be so hard. She wiped roughly at her cheeks. Are you sure you should keep her? Really sure? He asked, stricken. Yes, she said. I'm keeping her no matter what. An hour after midnight, Lewis was still awake. Out in the yard, a bird he couldn't identify began singing. Another bird answering from farther away. When it was quiet again, he heard the monkey push open the door of her room. Sandra had asked at dinner if they'd thought about keeping her in a cage at night, but Anne said they weren't willing to treat their monkey like a prisoner. Molly would eventually get used to sleeping through the night on her own. No one expected a human baby to sleep for more than a few hours at a time right after coming home from the hospital. Why should they expect a baby monkey to be any different? Lewis slipped out of bed, Sandra murmuring and turning under her side as he left the room. At the far end of the hall, he could see Molly turning the knob of Bill and Anne's bedroom door, but it didn't open. Anne opened it after a few seconds, her white nightgown phosphorescent in the glow from the hall nightlight. 
Molly leapt into her arms, and Louis, overcome by shame, watched his sister press her face to the monkey's soft head, both she and Molly closing their eyes in ecstatic surrender. You know, it often starts with, I have an idea for a character and maybe a situation of some kind, Mm -hmm. and then tonally it starts to work itself out after I've written the first page or two. And so I realized pretty quickly that this was going to be more about, you know, this brother observing his sister and her husband who wanted children, but, you know, they couldn't have their own. So they just, the his sister, of course, was the one who was so obsessed with having a child that she's willing to ruin her marriage, you know, to have this baby monkey. And mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I mean, it, I just was observing, you know, how hard it is to raise children and also just how people suffer when they can't have kids or, you know, there's just yeah. so many things that mm-hmm. I think about um, parenting. And it's, so this story ended up sort of being um, a way that I could work out and understand someone's just overpowering desire to have a kid and then, mm-hmm. you know, how she sort of not self-medicates, but just what she is able to do to maybe satisfy part of that, but of course disastrously, right. and you know, mm-hmm. you could say. Yeah. Um, so did the story, you said you start off with one character, did you start off with Lewis or? And the monkey, actually, the yeah. Monkey. So it was, in this case, it was two where I had the this animal character and then the sort of bemused observing character the brother who's of course mm-hmm. the point of view character of the story but he's also in a way sort of secondary because it's more about his sister than Definitely. about him yeah that's how it turned out I didn't realize that was going to happen until later interesting um and then yeah I just thought like all the characters are so like complex and well developed uh that's like one of my favorite parts about the story is just oh, all their you. relationships yeah I'm curious with like Lewis like what was the choice to to make like his marriage very like complex in its own way and yeah I mean I I'm glad you think so I knew pretty much that they were happy but the strain of being apart for a lot of the year you Mm -hmm. know anyone who's been in a long distance relationship which is probably most of us (laughs) (laughs) um you know how hard it is so Mm -hmm. he but I also just I liked Sandra a lot and I would probably be like her because she's just so like what are you guys doing you guys are insane and of course (laughs) Lewis has better manners so he and it's also his sister so he's able Mm -hmm. to He's able to say, you can't act that way. So, <laughs> I But I like Sandra a lot. I think she might be, along with the monkey, those are probably mm-hmm. my two favorite characters in yeah. the story. Yeah, yeah. It was it was interesting to make the choice, too, to have, like, their their relationship be, like, a long-distance one as opposed to, I feel like an easier choice is just, like, oh, they're, like, this happy, like, married couple that lives together and then they're just driving down. So I liked that choice of... I don't know it's just like extra layers with Bill like uh did you make any like specific choices I don't know I just think like it's so interesting how you're doing like the character choices like do yeah is it just like as you're writing it um you know it was I mean I Bill Bill I wanted him to be more practical in the in the story he's looking at this going okay I love my wife I want her to be happy so let's go ahead and adopt the monkey but now that they've had this monkey and just know that it's probably you know going to be a bad mm-hmm. bad thing for them my mother's a veterinarian too I asked her about I think I asked her this it's been a couple of years since I wrote the story but I think I asked her like well what you know can people really raise monkeys she's like mm, no <laughs> she's like it's really <laughs> not unless you 
have enough <laughs> space. And yeah. she's like, it's not a good idea. And it's like so many people, you hear stories of wild animals like tigers or bears being let loose by people who had and i think there was something in wisconsin recently where there was like an alligator or crocodile that got loose i can't remember some (laughs) wild animal that was you know a predator that was released probably by someone who'd adopted an exotic illegally and then just couldn't deal with the animal anymore so you know that that's routine i think with people they just realize they're in over their heads Mm -hmm. so i was thinking about that a little bit when i was writing the story yeah (laughs) <laughs> I, it's just like I could not handle I mean I don't we don't even have pets because I would like to I, yeah. I, I, as I, I grew up with pets but I also know like if you're going to care for an animal properly you really have to be able to be home and yeah you know yeah you, you have a dog Jeremy yeah, like, you know, I mean, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like a person you know it is we call our dog our daughter <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah, yeah so <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah, I, I know especially with like puppies and like training like they literally have puppy schools to like yeah. help you know take this wild animal and domesticate it so with a monkey I imagine it's like <laughs> yeah. you know and monkeys are just so cute and the word itself just sounds so funny whenever <laughs> I see the word monkey on the page I always laugh I'm like this is just a very funny sounding word too <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so I, it was just a lot of fun to write the story mm-hmm. and end up you know it being more as i said through the emails that we exchanged that it's more serious than i intended but i was glad ultimately with the result yeah that's awesome um and was it your mom that told you about like monkey behavior like grabbing eye <laughs> sockets or no i just made that up i just could imagine this the trickster personality of you know monkeys you see them and shows and movies and mm-hmm. documentaries and they're just smart and mm-hmm. they are playful so yeah. i just this poor monkey also was probably lonely so because it's still young and Mm -hmm. I just imagine that it wouldn't have wanted to be separated from its mom and its siblings Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so it is your writing process always the same of like you are charmed by like an idea or a character or like what can you take us yeah, I mean, I generally, sometimes I begin with a title. In this case, it actually did begin with the title. And then I realized, oh, I have the character Lewis. And then he is a literal uncle of a monkey. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I just went from there, imagining mm-hmm. him and the monkey and then the sister. And it's just really this organic process where probably like with your comedy writing, you have an idea, but then things just sort of snowball if they, if in a good way if the writing is going well and, and you you have I mean part of it people talk about truth and all this you know it's sort of a buzzword now but mm-hmm. um, there is a sort of honesty I think when I'm working on a new story if it doesn't feel immersive in a way that feels authentic to me like for example I just finished a new story recently and I before I finished it I was actually working on a different story with the same main character and it just was so not going well and mm. I just set it aside and started over with a completely different idea but the same character so that one worked I mean I yeah I think it did and that's it's just hard you know yeah. sometimes you just have to know when to stop and move on and but other times people give up prematurely um, Juan Martinez and I are actually going to do a panel on yeah. that, like how to finish things because it's uh-huh. so easy to just throw it away and start something else. Yeah. Do you have any um, indicators? Because I feel like someone that's like deep in their work, it's and like you know, it can get a little like disorienting to try to discover like should I push through or should I like set this aside and start something new. Um, you know, I think one thing that I do is I often work on more than one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So 
if something is not going that well, but I think it's still worth pursuing, I will focus on the other project. Or maybe mm-hmm. there's a, three things I'm working on. They're not yeah. always the same genre. There's often something different that I'll mm-hmm. be writing, like an essay, or I'll be working on a script, or I'll be working on a story or a novel. And I just need some air, I think. And and, yeah. and then sometimes like I might put aside a story, and then I'll go back to it like a few years later. That doesn't yeah. happen that often, but it has happened. Mm-hmm. So Because I'll think, like, this is actually not bad, but I don't know what I'm doing. So right. I just better <laughs> set it aside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think, I mean, I know for me personally, just the idea of writing like a whole novel just seems like, (laughs) how is that even like possible? It's like magic and such a long journey. Um, Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, do you like, do you think that's because it's such a huge project? That's why so many people like give up prematurely or... I, I mean, yeah, I think that's part of it. It's, you know, people lose confidence or you know, you, it's, that's really, I think what it is a lot is you lose confidence and you also expect it to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't conform to your idea of this perfect novel, which it never will, like Mm -hmm. the first draft, I mean, there are of course exceptions where, you know, a novel, like for example, my second book, which is the first novel I published, I wrote that in a pretty short period of time, just a few months, other than the first couple of chapters, which were actually stories. Those I'd written previously like several months before I wrote the rest of the book but that's you know that was a rare exception I've written several other novels and they did not come out that it was just a lot of work like and you know some people are like oh it took me six years to write this novel I get it I don't I don't take that Mm. long but you know it's so easy and I think I finally was able to write this novel which is titled Little Known Facts because I approached each chapter as a standalone story Mm. initially so the last few chapters are not there they have to be connected to the previous chapters but that was how I could do it I just thought of each piece each distinct chapter as a story and then I published some of those individually and that that was the way that I got over the mental anxiety about writing long-form fiction Mm -hmm. and um it's just, yeah, I mean, you also get tired of it. You just get sick of yeah. rereading the same <laughs> pages. And, mm-hmm. you you know, it, I think for me it helps, and I tell my students this too, that try to do something else. Don't just write prose mm-hmm. in like a story, a narrative. You could add, you know, a part of a poem or it can be postmodern. I love writing epistolary stories, so add a letter. You know, try to break mm-hmm. it up so that you're not feeling bored and that's the thing like I think also people pick topics for novels that they feel are worthy you can write a novel about anything and it Mm -hmm. actually should be something you have a lot of fun writing and reading and so and also you just have to say I'm writing this because I want to write this you can't expect to get you can't expect to get a book (laughs) contract I'm sorry to say it's just you have to write it for its own because you want to I mean sure we want readers and we want to earn money of course but I know it's yeah I feel like art in our society is so weird because we're raised to believe like I need awards and to make money and that's like what validates my art but like really we should be able to like push that aside and be like I'm doing it because I want to do it mm-hmm. yeah um, I know that's a story that's so interesting you guys I'm sure have read about Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Fleabag and how that yeah. started where a, she was actually giving a she was doing like a 10 minute monologue at I don't know if it was in Scotland but some girl came up to her afterward and said that was really good you should keep going with that and that was what ended up with her you know going off and writing more Mm -hmm. of this character and then ultimately you know delivering this series 
in the one woman show, but it was because at one point, you know, this right, this person just happened to say the right thing at the right time. And she's like, <laughs> I like this character. I'm going to keep going because she probably wouldn't have. Yeah. And wow. she just, you know, I think that's the thing. It's just, you have to have a lot of fun. And I just write goofy stories. This was more serious, but I've written a lot of, you know, comic type stuff too. That is, and it often ends up being serious. So mm. it's, I don't know. It's I'm trying to entertain myself because it's like the thing with <laughs> yeah. the, you know screenwriters or as comedians, you probably think, well, would I go to this show? Right. Yeah. If, if, if I'm enjoying myself, because yes. if I'm not, how yeah. could anybody else? Yeah. Right. Um, I wanted to ask about uh, like to me, the story was about kind of like the fear of having kids and the mm. fear of raising kids. Right. Mm. Is this is this connected to a personal fear that you have? Certainly, yeah. I don't have kids, but I mean, I've also been lucky that I didn't ever want them. So yeah. I wasn't, you know, feeling like, oh my God, I've missed out on this huge life journey. And I just, I just never, I think I did too much babysitting when I was sure, here. Yeah. I'm uh, serious. I really think honestly, I... Honestly, just have a, watch a baby for three hours and you're like, do I uh, want this? Even, yeah. well, not even a, an infant, just having kids that I had to entertain for, you yeah. know, many summer days when right. I was like 12 or 13. And my mom's from a family of nine kids. She's the oldest wow. of nine and I'm an only child. And I never felt, I mean, I had friends and I had cousins. And so I, I never felt this. I wasn't lonely. So I, I don't know. Like I, I always sort of curious. I have friends too who are conflicted. They're glad they have kids and they love their children, but they also sometimes have said in a moment of candor, I don't know if I would have had kids if I'd known how much work it would be. I mean, mm. you've heard that before, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And my mom says it to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but I did want to know, like, uh, have, have people that you know who do have kids responded to this story in any particular mm. way? No, not really. I yeah. mean, I this story was published last year in this journal, and it's not in either of my collections of stories, so I don't think many people have read it. So, and also just, I, I mean, the woman, the editor at at the New England Review, Carolyn Keebler, she has one child, and she really liked the story, and I think part of it might be because she just thought, you know, I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get it, you know, but my dad, actually, who's usually my harshest critic, he told me, he's like, I thought initially the story was just going to be like kind of mean and sarcastic and and he's like it just ends up being about love and you know the lengths Mm. people will go to and I'm like yeah I mean I'm glad you know that is what it ended up becoming and but I just think life is so hard and trying I mean Adam my partner and I were talking about his sister has three kids and just it's so much work and the Mm -hmm. job of a parent is to try to get you out into the world so you can support yourself and not be unkind to other people like that's sort of the baseline of being a parent like can you raise a child who's not going to go off and harm other people (laughs) and and it's so i mean it's like you just hope and you know despite your best efforts sometimes things don't go well you know not that that's the case with his sister but we just have said like she works so hard and and it's just so much work you know to raise kids and be Mm -hmm. there for them when they need you and well and the character seems to also just have this longing to take care of something too a little bit Mm -hmm. and and Bill, I think, would not be, he wouldn't care if they didn't have a kid. Right. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. sure. Um, and I Aww, guess. He loves what, Anne. <laughs> but like, what is that? Like, I mean, is it just evolutionary? Do we think there's more to it than that? Like, just yeah. like how people, like you said, your partner's sister, similar deal of just like. She you always know, wanted kids. Always says, wanting yeah. kids. Yeah. And like, uh, even though it kind of goes against a lot of. Yeah. things like career and personal mm-hmm. space and mm-hmm. boundaries yeah. and stuff so why do we want to take care of something <laughs> yeah and i know for me when i was reading the story 
I kind of thought Anne, like, like at her core, like, didn't want kids. You know what I mean? Like, because I think some people get, like, they think they want kids and then they have the child and they're like, oh, this is not for me, you know? And I mean, (laughs) I feel like it was luckily, like, our generation is, like, getting together much later. But, like, I mean, I know my parents, they got together when they were, like, and had me at like 24 which is like so young Mm -hmm. and like and then my grandma was like she told me like oh yeah I was the only girl in my school to graduate high school because everyone all the girls got married and they stopped going to school (laughs) oh my gosh yeah Yeah. so like uh, luckily it's like not that way anymore but at that time like parts of the country still yeah yeah but like having kids and before they even realize like do I want kids Mm -hmm. so watching like and struggle with the monkey is like oh, I wonder if like she thinks she does. I think that's yeah. the thing. Like you can't know until you actually have a child. Yeah. Until you, yeah. and that's too late. You and know, that's crazy. It's such know. a big commitment. I know <laughs> you can't return. I it. know. Yeah. And whenever you know people say, "Oh God, I didn't know it was going to be so much work," I'm like, "Really? <laughs> you didn't <laughs> yeah. notice? I mean, it's just I. It's just sort of. But thing. The thing is, I. I mean, as a writer, I'm always looking at things, I think, differently from other people, the way people who aren't writers look at you. I'm mm-hmm. the same thing. I'm sure it's the same with you guys in your writing. You just, I just think a lot about like, okay, well, if this happens, then you got to do this and this and this. And mm-hmm. I, so I'm always looking at the trajectory of decisions and the choices mm-hmm. that we make, which trying to predict. So, I mean, for me, it's second nature to be like, I know that I wouldn't be able to go to the movies in the afternoon whenever I felt like it, <laughs> yeah. if I'm not working or teaching, you know, mm-hmm. like if you have a kid, you can't do that unless you have money and you can get a babysitter or a yeah. nanny or something like that. And even then you feel guilty. And yeah. Just the burden mm-hmm. of it is, it's considerable. Yeah. <laughs> People say like, oh, it's such a joy. I'm like, yeah, it is at times, you know, <laughs> yeah. like at times. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When they're eighteen and you're watching them, yeah, college, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're like, we right. did it. And they graduate, <laughs> and they graduate as valedictorian. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But you're paying for the therapy until they're thirty. Oh, right. Because yeah. and then yeah, and then at thirty, they're gonna tell you all the things you did wrong to, yeah. to make them bad. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh no. <laughs> Um, Jeremy, do you have any other questions? I, th- I don't have anything else. That great. was great. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you guys. Um, I really yeah. appreciate it. We super appreciate you yeah. coming in. Is there anything that you want people to know about you? Like, um, I guess anything you want to plug or your class maybe? I don't know. I do teach online for Catapult, which is in New York and there are fiction classes that I teach for them. And then I also teach sometimes for Story Studio Chicago online, um, and then I teach for two MFA programs, Regis University, which is a low-res program in, De- in Denver, and then uh, Northwestern University, which is through the School of Professional Studies. I am the faculty director of that program. Even though I live here in Pasadena I or in L.A., I uh, still do that work remotely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, That's and I'm awesome. just working on new fiction and some screenwriting, too, and learning how to do that. So, Great. Like yeah. learning the format and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Are you having fun with that, or is that a stress, it is stressful? <laughs> it is fun. I've been yeah. doing it. I've been learning and reading scripts and just listening to a lot of podcasts about sure. screenwriting, mm-hmm. and it's been fun. I mean, I have a couple of people that I you know get criticism for and you know it's just but it is very different than writing fiction yes you know where you can do so much expository writing mm-hmm. and detail that in of course in any script it's so much more spare and mm-hmm. you really have to rely on all these other people who you know see the film or the tv show in their own way and mm-hmm. you have to try it's just so collaborative it's very of course as you know it's very different from writing prose yeah
Stories But Shorter is produced by Jeremy Schmidt and hosted by me, Cassie Jerkins. Hey guys, I'm Stevie Nelson. And I'm Dave Horowitz. And we're the hosts of I Burn Everything. It's a podcast about food and relationships, which, you know, if we're being honest, are two out of the three things people want to talk about anyway. What's the third thing? Netflix. Okay. We'd like you to rate, review, and subscribe if you like it. Anywhere you listen to your podcast. Apple? iPod? Stitcher? Do you still have iPods? (laughs) (laughs) If you have an iPod, do it on an iPod. I don't know. If you have a Zune, do it on your it's Zune. probably hard to even charge them now. Yeah, good luck. And if you have a Tamagotchi, you can't do any of this. Yeah, you can't stream audio on a Tamagotchi, but you you can feed them. Yeah, you still so keep feed feeding those it. little buggers. They're hungry. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Campfire.